Welcome to Holy Ghosting, a podcast about deconstruction and how the five log of languages are made up bullshit, maybe. We're going to get into it today. I am Lindsay Stranigan. And I'm Meg Weber. And today on the pod, we have Crystal Britt. Yay. Thanks for having (laughs) me, you guys. I'm so excited. We are so pumped to talk to you. We have followed you on the internet for a long time. We have I feel like you're one of those parasocial relationships where I'm like, oh, I like know you, but we've this we've never met in person. I've just uh admired your work and recently came across some of your TikToks about the five love languages. And we thought this might be a perfect conversation to have in light of Valentine's Day, but also just because we were all absolutely like spoon fed that book and told it was the way to understand uh, love in a monogamous heterosexual relationship, of course. Yes. <laughs> because that's 100%. the only kind of relationship that exists. Um, yeah. I wanted to give a little background on who you are. You are a licensed clinical social worker, a therapist, and an educator. And you are the co-host of the Time to Lean podcast. Um, Tell us a little bit more about like you, your work, if there's a specific focus, like your, I will say just from your work on the internet, you are, you're a gift. I just feel like the things you educate on are just, it's, I don't know. We need more voices like yours. So I'm very thankful for you. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. It's really interesting. It's a weird, like you said, like parasocial relationships, I mean, they go both ways. Like, it's also a very weird thing for, um, with my co-host, um, Laura Danger, when we do Time to Lean, we do a lot of stuff together. And so we were out, um, when I visited her in Chicago in July, we were at the Chicago Art uh, Institute and at the Art Museum. We were downstairs, like, in the miniature space. We both had, like, full KN95s on and had had somebody approach us. And we're like, hey, are you, like, are you Laura Danger? And like, are you, like, you, it's Crystal and Laura, right? And I was like, this is so weird. Like, <laughs> like, and it's so like, it was like, oh my gosh, like, so, oh my God, I'm so glad you listened to the podcast and, you know, the content and stuff. It was incredible. And also I was like, this is so bizarre, like to have people know that I'm like, oh yeah, I said that on the internet. I forgot. Right. Um, totally. <laughs> <this> happens <laughs> yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, like you said, I'm a therapist. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, um, which I kind of pride myself on because I came to private practice in a totally different way than most um, like licensed marriage and family therapists or licensed professional counselors do. Um, My focus for undergrad and graduate was more of like systemic oppression and um, wider issues. Um, I have my practice focuses on primarily um, queer folks, um, neurodivergent folks and folks who are religiously traumatized, which uh, is a flat circle in a lot of cases. <laughs> so yeah, it, I was it like, was wow. kind of like, yeah, I started with the queer community and then I was like, mm, neurodivergence, mm, religious trauma. So we kind of just, you know, have piled all of those three into like an amalgamation of um, narrative therapy and different things. Um, but um, I have ADHD. I also am seeking a professional diagnosis with autism. So I am neurodivergent. Um, and yeah, I spend a lot of my time on the internet educating about systemic issues and how they affect, uh, mental health, uh, especially related to with time to lean, uh, like domestic relationships, domestic partnerships, and also like a, a section of our audience. Uh, we talk a lot about compulsory heterosexuality and what that looks like. Mm. Cause sometimes when you're dealing with stuff in the household that isn't vibing, it's kind of like, okay, let's dig a little bit deeper and dive into this idea, which Love languages kind of plays directly into. Um, so it's really interesting to unpack with people. I'm so excited. I love talking about this. Um, 
And Michael Vaughn is another creator, uh, world shaker on TikTok, who's an incredible guy. We did this joint episode for Time to Lean like two weeks before there was an article, I think by, it was either by Bustle or some news outlet that was like, our love language is real. And I was like, we did that first. Like credit us, (laughs) cite us in the resources. But anyway, so yeah, it seems to be a hot topic right now. So I'm happy to be part of that conversation. Yeah. I love seeing like the layers be peeled back on all of these things that we've just accepted as truth and the things that were just preached. Like, sure, the love languages aren't the gospel that we were preached, but it was like hand in hand. Like we have been told by Christians and non-Christians alike that this is like the the way for relationships. Um, I do want to back up just really quickly and ask, I'm curious what your uh, relationship to evangelicalism is when yeah. you raise evangelical. Like, do you know all the words to shine Jesus shine? Like, tell me oh, how I, deep absolutely. in it. Yeah. I would you? say Maranatha knee deep at least. Um, oh, okay. So yeah. I was raising evangelical. I always kind of tease my mom that, um, that she is the reason that I deconstructed anything um, because we were raised evangelical going to a big mega church in Southern California um, that has only grown larger um, on a much larger scale. And we were the kind Wait, of family what? where we, can I know uh, we grew up going to harvest. Oh, okay. Yeah, for okay. sure. Yeah. We were, we were, I was just like, there's a few of them. I was like, I was like, I was like, was it like, Saddleback? There's so many down there. There's yeah. so many, yeah. there's so many down there. Yeah. We grew up going to harvest. Um, and so it was very, again, like when it was much smaller, but still a really large church. Um, I always joke with my mom that she was kind of like, she's one of the only reasons that I've like deconstructed anything because we would get in the car um, to go home and she would be like, hey, what did you learn about in church today? And we would, you know, be like, Ugh, but then we would like tell her what we had learned. And she was always very like, you don't just take what's fed to you. Like you always have to make like, just because some like pastor from a pulpit said it doesn't mean that it's true. Like you need to go back to the Bible and look and see if like, that's actually true. Don't trust what a person is telling you because they're human. Wow. So there were like Applause seeds that were planted. Mom, really. Yeah. Yeah. Fully, that's excellent. Fully. Like we have, yeah. Generations of very, um, like generations back on that side of single mothers who were very much like, mm, question that. Like, mm. I don't know about that. So a lot of strength and a lot of like wisdom there. So Um, I grew up then going to like junior in junior high and high school, I went to private Christian school. Um, and then, uh, after that went to a private Christian college because that's what I was going to do. Um, and I started at the master's college and promptly absolutely fucking hated it. Three weeks in, I was looking to transfer because I was like, they're super conservative, right? Like could not be the, a mentor that I had in high school, my senior year was like, you would really fit in what, like, I think masters and like, I, that's a whole other like level of manipulation with like male teachers at private Christian schools that have access like that with kids that I just have a whole other thing with. So I, that's where he went. That's where he recommended I go. I went there three weeks later was looking to transfer out. Cause I was like, I'm so sorry. You're going to come and get me out of bed for orientation week. If I don't show up, I was depressed. I was like, it was a lot. So then I was like, what is the most liberal Christian school that they shit talk here? And it was APU. So that's where I went. Oh. I went to Azusa because 
they were like, don't go there. It's that's where all the sinners live. And I was like, excellent. That's where I'm going. That's so <laughs> funny. In my head, Point Loma was the real like sinners college. So which is so yeah. funny because two of us, uh, two of us of the four of us that went to Christian colleges, two of us went to APU and the other two went to Point Loma. So it oh. was very much a thing of like, mm, think about it. Keep one foot. Like, just be aware. Be suspicious. Ask questions. So, so yeah, so then becoming an adult, like, uh, my husband, Ben and I started to deconstruct, like a lot of us, I feel like in 2016, um, not because of the election, but the election was our final, like boot out the door. But, um, my grandmother died. We, uh, suffered a pretty significant, not unexpected, but pretty significant death, um, of like the matriarch of our family, um, in January or February of that year. So, um, it was, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I believe any of this and I don't know how to explain this to my three and four year old and what are we going to do? So, um, so yeah, I still go to church. Um, it's much different than what a lot of people would consider like a church. Like a lot of people will be like, no, you're not a Christian. That's not what you do. Um, and now I'm much more interested in like the, uh, like political pundit that Jesus kind of was and like mm. more interested in like the radical, shit that he did and that kind of like attention to marginalized communities that he did as opposed to what it used to look like for me. So I'm still, still in it, still questioning, still with more questions than answers. So that's kind of my journey overall. If you see me just like rapidly nodding my head, I'm like, oh, I feel like you're telling my story. Like Meg, <laughs> was that not, I feel like it's yeah. really similar. Yeah. I mean, especially the being like, the final straw for me was 2016 as well. I had been kind of questioning for a while and I was just taking my kid to this like quote unquote liberal evangelical church in Portland. And yeah, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. My husband wasn't going cause he was done with evangelicalism and I'm just dragging my kid to church cause I feel like it's what mm. I should do. And yeah, it just, it was not working. Uh, anyways, that's, that is fascinating. It's also funny. Like the Southern California, like Christian college world is Weird Very and small. small. And that was like, I literally, I was going to go to a Christian college in Southern California. There was no other option in my mind. I think I applied to Azusa, Point Loma, uh, Westmont, Biola. All, Masters oh, yeah, was Pepperdine. never. Pepperdine was the reach school. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that was like not really a Christian school. So, right. uh, yeah. but that's so funny. Anyways, I digress. We're not here to talk about Christian colleges, though they did a great job of indoctrinating us and uh, <laughs> left us in some debt and all sorts of fun things. Uh, we are here to talk about the five love languages by, and I had to do a double take because by J Gary Chapman, not to be confused with Amy <laughs> Grant's ex-husband. Yes, they're 100%. Okay. Yeah. I was like different problematic Gary. Yeah. <laughs> They're both. <laughs> both problematic white men, different ways. Yeah. You yes, got to keep them all yes. straight because white men just kind of all filter together for me as one person. Yeah. Yeah, we joke a lot about, like, youth pastors named Josh. Like, I feel like there are just so many problematic youth pastors named Josh. Uh, but now we're throwing Gary in the mix as well. So, Absolutely. Uh, well deserved. Yeah, Ga Gary is the new Josh. Uh, <laughs> so I want to know, first of all, uh, what are the five love languages? I want to know, did you identify with, uh, like, all of us? Like, what were ours? Did we self-identify? Uh, what our love languages are. I have a theory that all like women in America are conditioned to think that acts of service are their love language, <laughs> at least yeah. Christian women. Uh, yeah. yeah. So let's, Crystal, do you mind walking us through what the five are? 
Yes, absolutely. So the five love languages, uh, and there are only five. Gary Chapman has been very like sticky on this point. There are not others. Um, our quality be time. Anymore. There cannot be any more because he wrote it. Um, <laughs> quality time, acts of service, words of affirmation, receiving gifts, and physical touch. Um, those are the five. Um, I also have to give credit to everything that I'm pulling my references from, which is this incredible document that Michael Vaughn put together for our podcast uh, episode, because um, he just researched the shit out of this. And for someone who didn't come from that evangelical background, I was like, this is so spot on, and it's good to know that it translates. Um, but yeah, there are those five. The Like you had mentioned, Lindsay, having that like thing of like women within the evangelical church being conditioned to be like, oh, you're like love language is acts of service. Um, in similar, in a similar fashion, right. I feel like a lot of men within the evangelical church, it's like, oh, your love language is physical touch. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so it's very, it's very interesting because this book has been around since 1992. There was a revision in like 2014, 2015, somewhere around in there where there is some stuff that was like clearly egregious. Like there's an entire chapter, um, chapter 12, that's just like is fully horrific um, that was taken out and changed. Um, but I think the most important thing that was like the most important lead that was buried when we were spoon fed this was that Gary Chapman's not a doctor of psychology. Like Gary Chapman has no experience in the psychology world and the mental health world. Um, like his bachelor's in anthropology, his master's is in adult education as best we can like Google and find out. This is all based on pastoral counseling. Wow. So it's bonkers to me that this is literally, I mean, it's still on the Amazon, like bet, like top 10 bestsellers for books about relationships. Like it has entered the cultural zeitgeist in a way that very few things have permeated, which you guys know as like evangelicals is like the thing. Cause then it's like, oh shit, we got them. This is how we hook people in for the kingdom. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, yep, a, yep. it's like, you know, a bait and switch, which I feel like is also very shitty. Um, but yeah, those are the five love languages overall. There are quizzes. Um, that you can take to figure out which one you are. And then there are also multiple books, like what are your kids' love languages? What's your oh. conflict love language? You know, and so it's just, it's a franchise at this point. It's a money-making machine. And Christians love that shit. Uh, mm -hmm. Capitalism, it's our favorite. Um, do we know, like, how it became the end-all, be-all? Like, and the weird thing is, is it's not often touted, at least in my mind, as a Christian book, it's not fully saying no. like Jesus gave you this love language. It's more clever than that. Yes, it's much more insidious than that. And I think that there are I'm trying to I'm trying to pinpoint like where he talks about that. The The chapter that I talk about that's super problematic is chapter 12. That is where like in that whatever edition that's in, he definitely talks about like, well, have you prayed about this? Have mm. you gone to your husband and asked, asked for forgiveness? Like there's a lot of that kind of language within it. So I don't know if that made it into the 2014, 2015 version. Um, so there is that, but yeah, it's not, uh, here's the thing. There are therapists who recommend this book mm -hmm. as like, yeah. well, if you're fighting, yeah, if you're fighting, let's talk about the lo like five love languages. Maybe you guys are just like missing each other, which is how my, not through therapy, but my husband and I were like, oh, this is a tool. Cause we feel like we don't like fully understand how each other like receives or gives love. So let's like see what this is. Um, the other thing with uh, love languages is that they, like the concept is like they change, they can change based on seasons of your life. Right. So 
because because of that, it can play into like the domestic labor and mental load that's assumed to insist het partnerships to the woman of, well, we have a kid now. So like your love language is clearly acts of service because you bitch all the time about how I don't do the dishes or how I don't do the laundry or how I don't like, I won't put the baby down or whatever. Right. Where it's like, this isn't a true, like seeing of me, this is a checklist based on a, based on gendered assumptions that we're pulling out of nowhere. It's not based on a conversation of like vulnerability and intense, uh, curiosity and interest in your partner, it has the capacity to become a checklist of like, yeah, we got it. And Christians love checklists. Yes. And when you put checklists <laughs> and capitalism together, it's like, here are five ways that you can make your partner feel really loved. Take this $500 workshop with me for the weekend. Oh, what a, <laughs> it just, it feels so reductive and it's so wild to me that it's like taking me this long to figure out it was written by a pastor i truly thought it was written by a therapist like therapists Mm -hmm. love this book this book has been talked to me and my husband in marriage counseling like we yeah like and i think that it it just feels like well why can't it be all of them like why can't i Mm -hmm. want you know what i mean yeah sometimes i do want you just like and i think the acts of service thing you're so right on that it's like yeah i want my partner to to contribute to our fucking household that's Mm -hmm. not like an act of love that's just like being in a partnership and being like a grown-ass human being right like just because i'm demanding that Mm -hmm. yeah just because i'm demanding that doesn't mean that that's how i want to be loved right absolutely yeah it doesn't mean that that speaks to a vulnerable part of my soul that you picked up the living room there are so many like instances of like kind of that undercurrent of misogyny. It also has very much that undertone, that evangelical undertone of like, well, if wife, you would just submit, like, just like submit to what your husband's needs are, which Lindsay, you had mentioned before the podcast, like wanting to also touch on love and respect, which I feel like is a lesser known, like more like, no, this is a Christian book, but is a lot of times directly linked to five love languages because of that kind of like element of like you just need to like be less be less demanding be less hesitant to have sex with your husband be less opinionated right you need to like turn that off which this week has sent me into a whole other spiral because of kind of the resurgence of the concept of divine femininity but anyway um (laughs) and and i want to like for people who don't know, like, love and respect, as far as I understand it, I never read it, but this was uh, – my parents were on a big kick about this. This was shortly after I feel like my me and my siblings were getting married, and this was the advice that was being given to us going into marriage. And it was that – with love and respect, it's that uh, women need love and men need respect, period. That is the fucking yes. premise what? of the mm-hmm. book. Yes, Meg, yeah. I knew this yeah. would blow your mind. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like – Ew. Like looking at my parents and being like, but but I want but, respect. Like that would be really I, great. I would I would like that. And and it's funny because my husband and I, our generals are pretty swapped. And like as far as like our personality, our emotions, and like it doesn't work for us on any level. But I'm like, uh, I'm like, and if you were to boil it down and really reduce us, I'm the one who wants respect and he's the one who wants love. So so mm-hmm. suck it, love mm-hmm. and respect. But yeah, that was the advice that we were being given not even that long ago i got married 15 years ago so yeah that's i just watched an episode of um queer eye and karamo was offering the five love languages in one of his sessions so meg i'm really glad that you brought this up 
because uh, the uh, Michael Vaughn and I, when we did the podcast, like literally texted me three days later and was like, Crystal. And I was like, what? And he was like, love and respect, or uh, not love and respect. Can you imagine? Jesus Christ. They pulled that out. <laughs> on the of Queer Eye. Uh, Karamo's using five love languages. And also, did you know he's not licensed? And I was like, he's who has time to maintain licensure when you're, because Karamo also has a uh, background in social work. Um, oh. So it is one of those things where it's like, Kate, just because this is something that is accessible mm -hmm. doesn't mean this is a good place to hang our hat. Yeah. Right. Just because this is something that you've heard about from somebody else doesn't mean this is where as a neurodivergent person, I get really pissed off about media literacy and critical thinking, because that's what apparently all of my fucking student debt was supposed to be for. Right. Was to teach me how to critically think and to teach me how to differentiate good sources from non good sources and peddling this as like because the main argument that I get, especially in like my social media content with love languages is, well, it really worked for us. And to that, I say, great. I would be hard pressed to imagine a scenario where five years from now, that's still enough to hang your relationship mm -hmm. on. That's okay. But it's yeah. having that mindset of like, this is a helpful tool for me and my partner. Is it helpful because it's surface level? Is it helpful because it, or is it helpful because it leads to deeper, more vulnerable conversations where there, then you don't need that book. But if we're using that book as like, the end all be all or love and respect to be like, well, this book and the Bible and this renowned psychologist, which neither of them are, you know, says that this is how we're supposed to function. And we can use like, that's what you're basing your relationship on. It's not going to go any deeper than that. And that's a, like, if you're good with that, that's fine. I would make the same argument for the Enneagram, but that's yeah. also going to piss off a lot of people. So I mean, <laughs> we're here for it. I, I, I realize too, it, it does feel like it's something that you give to young people who maybe haven't learned anything about relationships. Like it's not a subject that we learn about in school. It's not really, it's something yeah. we get to observe, but it's not something that we actually have conversation about. And so even knowing yourself in a way and, and having this quiz just tell you, oh, this yeah. is a thing you like, um, it does seem like a solution but I like what you're saying, Crystal, that this is like, it, it's surface level. It's just, it's an easy band-aid. It's something to be like, oh, we did it. Okay, we read the fucking book and now I give you words of affirmation. So you're welcome, like moving on. And it does not go into the heart of any issue. Mm -hmm. um, and I know you talk a lot about fair play. And I, I think that, you know, there are so many other places that we could go for this type of information but why yeah. why is this one the one that is like stuck in everyone's mind why are we keep why is karamo bringing it up like why do we keep hearing <laughs> about it yeah i i mean honestly i think that and i love that question meg because i think that it speaks toward like the broader issue that most couples who are dissatisfied with their relationship have which is i am desperate for a tool that will get you to see me and mm. understand me at a deeper level and I need it now, right? Like I probably yeah. should have brought this up five years ago, but I didn't. And so here's this tool that's being handed to me. It feels good to me. So I'm going to give it to you, right? Yeah. Which the self-assessment part of it, I think is, yes. it does feel empowering, right? To kind of have something to go to your partner with and say, this is something I'm missing. This is, you know, and look, it's this famous guy who everyone yes. loves and 
Um, you know, and especially because it is written by a white man, like we said at the beginning, there is this clout that he gets from just showing up in the fucking room and yep. does not have to back it up with anything that's like life changing. Yes. Oh, he backs it up. He his source is the Bible. So <laughs> the, like I said, it's the ultimate. <laughs> we got that. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what you want to do with that Trump card, but yeah. So basically he said it. it it's the truth. <laughs> So what's the thing? Uh, God says it. God says it. I believe I it. So that believe settles it. it. That settles it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, 100%. <laughs> I tell it. my sister that all the time. I'm like, well, you know what? God said it. I believe it. So that settles it. I got to go. Um, yeah. Well, and what's really interesting to that point too, Meg, is like a really great alternative uh, that talks about different ways people are loved and how people, how human beings process and understand love and where they look at to receive and get it um, is all about love by bell hooks. But that is a very difficult read mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Right. Like not even just like logistically. And it's like a book that's this thick, but it's heavy and it's vulnerable and you have to do digging. Taking a self-assessment to your point is something that like, sure, teenage, like give teenagers this tool, then also follow it up with, Hey, what did you think about that? Did you find anything interesting about the way those questions were asked, given that you teenager identify as a girl or that you teenager identify as a boy. How did that make you feel? What did it make you think? Right. My kids are forever and always going to be going, Oh my God, I just wanted to take an, I just wanted to take a fun online quiz and I'm going to go, sorry, you're getting a, you're getting a full blown lecture. Cause this is what I've been preparing for my whole life. So let's go get coffee. <laughs> you know, like it's okay if it leads, if it's a tool that leads to a deeper conversation, but it keeps it on that surface level that I would argue social media is also being used as a tool for a lot of couples as well, mm. where it's like, Hey, I saw this therapist say this in a TikTok. Why don't we try that? It's like, no, 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 please don't like use that as a jumping off point <laughs> to do your own research, to figure out what, you know, what makes your partner feel seen and how does that make you feel that you're doing the mental labor to figure out how they're seen. And you haven't felt seen in 15 years. You know what I mean? Like that's a much more difficult, deeper dive than love languages. It's because it's accessible and it's yeah. easy. Yeah. I think yeah. the ease of it is the thing that it, it's so dangerous too, because it does feel like, you know, it's, it's kind of like Valentine's day. We're, we're coming up on it. You can just buy a card, get some chocolates and like, bam, I've proved I loved you for however long until our anniversary. And, and it's just, it's not the meaningfulness, the depth mm-hmm. that we're looking for in partnership is really not there when Mm -hmm. you're just kind of, you know, choosing the Hallmark route. Yes. Which is really interesting in my comments of my love, like love languages is bullshit video. That's one of the main comments is it's not that deep, like get a hobby. Like it's not that deep. And it's like, yeah, that's the point. Like you walked right into it. That is the whole point. It's when you walk into, I was in home Depot two days ago and there's, between the in the aisle dividers between you know fucking microfiber towels and padded knee pads uh is a row of bouquets of flowers right like don't yeah. forget don't forget you piece of shit that like you have to like think about this it's like if that's what you're hinging the relationship on and it's not in supplement to anything it's it falls flat and it's going to continue to fall flat yeah and it's like sure maybe they think oh it's not that deep you're not overthinking it but this book has sold over 20 million copies and has been on the bestsellers list for eons. Like, like you said, it's part of the cultural zeitgeist and whether you agree with it or not, it is, you know, it, 
You've heard mm-hmm. about it. People mm-hmm. talk about it constantly. And I think some like, I'm very interested in sort of the darker, like the things that people internalize about these love languages. Like mm. it's been a real struggle in my own marriage as far as like, cause of course my husband's a physical touch person and I'm not. And so then this guilt of like, how do I meet? It, it becomes, I think, especially with Christians, there's this really weird gray line of duty, right? And what yes. you're supposed to do for your spouse. And I think that like the this kind of messaging gets really tricky really quickly. And when if you're supposed to be meeting your spouse and giving them a love language, so I'm supposed to be touching him even when I don't want, want to, to or don't right. feel like it because that's what I should do as a good Christian spouse. Like that gets really gross really fast. Absolutely. And I think too, like in unhealthy relationships, is, I think the point of having it be so accessible also makes it really dangerous specifically for that reason in relationships where women may be in a relationship with someone who's a narcissist or who is not interested in what they can provide in a relationship, but only interested in what they can get out of it. Mm-hmm. It's so chapter 12 that I've kind of like alluded to, um, speaks directly to that. It's called loving the unlovely. Um, this woman, Anne comes to Chapman for pastoral counseling. And when she kind of lays her situation out for him, like talks about her body feeling like when they have sex, she's only being used as a body, right? Like he doesn't respect her. He doesn't listen to her. Um, other people that she's talked to about that have been like their universal advice was get out of this relationship. Um, the husband refused to go to counseling. I'm going to read a quote from this resource doc. Um, Chapman weaponizes religion to encourage her to stay by reading this passage. I hear you. I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Does that sound like your husband? Chapman asks, has he treated you as an enemy rather than as a friend? She nodded. Has he cursed you? I asked many times. Has he ever mistreated you? Often. And has he told you that he hates you? Yes. She also says to Chapman, and I quote, I have found it hard to be sexually responsive to him when he ignores me all the time. He acts as though I am totally unimportant all the rest of the time and then wants to jump into bed and use my body. He tells her to go home to her husband and literally ask him, how can I be a better wife to you? And also concludes in that chapter, (laughs) Michael wrote, Chapman shockingly determines that Anne's husband's love language is physical touch. And at the bottom, what is this asshole's advice? Fuck your husband more. Like, it's like, just do do the thing more that you're saying is like, oh my God. Oh Yeah, grit your teeth and bear it. Because to your point, Lindsay, that's your duty. Like, that's your duty as a woman. And what's so insidious is he's not even pulling from like the cultural expectation of evangelicalism of like, well, your husband just has a higher sex drive than you. And we all know that universally, don't we? So you've got to fulfill this. It's that he pulls that Matthew, that passage from Matthew. And I'm like, I, in the pocket, I was like, my brain's going to fucking explode. That's a passage about like being with oppressed people. He's, he's speaking to Pharisee. Like he's not, what the fuck? Like, this is so insidious and so gross that like, an editor at Tyndale or wherever the fuck never went, you know, I just, we could probably do without chapter 12. Maybe don't <laughs> say the quiet part out loud, but I don't, it's like, what is happening? But damn. Yeah, he did. Well, and that's the thing is we've, we've talked about it here before. It's like verses like that have been weaponized to keep women in abusive relationships since the dawn of evangelicalism, at least, mm-hmm. you know, like this, this 
concept of like forgiveness or God, we've talked about a lot, like the God can, you know, repair anything. Like no one is beyond, I'm like, yeah, God can, sure. God can save them. God can heal them, but I don't have to be in relationship with them while that's happening. They can go like me. I don't have to be abused while waiting for God to fix this person. That's not part of like, yeah, that's not a duty or an obligation that I have. Yeah, absolutely. And the misapplying of forgiveness. Yeah, mm-hmm. when separation and divorce is like not an option as a Christian, yeah. it just it it doesn't allow there to be anything beyond go suffer. A oh, 100%. Like like take up your cross and bear it. Like this is what you have agreed to before God and everybody. And so this is your lifelong commitment. Like as a as a result, I mean part of this is my ADHD, but as soon as someone says or suggests to me in any way that I am obligated to do something that this is why I'm self-employed you know what I mean I'm like don't Same. the computer <laughs> yeah the computer pops up with a notification I'm like don't tell me where to be I I have that appointment and I'm gonna go but not because you notified me that I have to be there you know what I mean like I have to fight this like internalized thing of like oh no I'm not it's not my duty to do anything like I have full autonomy and like you guys know that's not something that is encouraged Um, even within the context of abuse or intimate partner violence is not, it's like, no, you've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. There's not an option for you to exercise autonomy and leave in that too. He like ends that chapter by telling, like he could have easily been like, Hey, this sounds like a really big problem. Even as a, as a pastor who like does counseling, he could have easily said like, have your husband come in and talk to me. This sounds like a deeper issue. And I would love to talk to him about the way he's treating you. And instead, like a quote from the book, he tells her, or he says that if the experiment was going to get off the ground, it would be because of Anne's deep faith in God. Um, this story, and then Michael says, this story was for us, uh, the reader, not for Anne. And it's suggesting that, if she, and suggested that if she fails, it's because of her lack of faith in God, at, like to carry that out and to trust him to carry that out. And it's like, what kind of a position does that put that woman in? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. And absolutely. It's just so unfair. And it makes me really sad. I feel like I'm getting emotional in this because the women that I know who have stayed in relationships so much longer than they have. I mean, obviously this is, this is even bigger than the five love languages. It's just like the messaging that we are given about, um, yeah, what is, appropriate in a relationship what god wants of us this um love affair with suffering mm-hmm. um is mm-hmm. a huge problem and i think that i mean i remember i have you know for the longest time like my husband and i have very different um like desires and libidos and like it's oftentimes they don't match up and it's been and i just remember my whole for so long, I've just thought like something is wrong with me because that's what, you know what I mean? It's like, I wasn't able to meet him on that love language. And I was, you know, it was just like, yes. I struggled mm-hmm. with that for so long. And I was like, if this was just a switch, I could flip and turn on, I would, because I love him and I, right. I want us, I, you know? And so it's like one of those things where I remember like going to a therapist that wasn't a Christian. I've, I've never done Christian therapy and I'm very like proud of other than merit, like premarital counseling through our church, which is not counseling that does not count. <laughs> also, if you've sure, gone sure, to sure, counseling, sure. if you've gone to counseling at church at all, it's not counseling. Count. Just great differentiator. <laughs> yep. Great yeah. Point. Yeah. Um, just not real. Um, but, and I remember like crying about this stuff and my therapist being like, you know, there's nothing wrong with you, right? Like she was mm. like, you know, it's okay to have like a different libido than your partner. 
She's like, it's a challenge, but like, you're allowed to have a low libido. That's normal. And I was just like, what? Like literally no one has ever told me this before. That my husband and I can have different sexual needs. And sure, that can be a challenge in a long-term monogamous relationship, but it's not a deal breaker. And it just means we have to communicate about it more. And it doesn't mean I have to just like buck up and do my duty and like put out every time he wants it. Like that, it was like mind blowing for me. I was like, oh, you're not throwing the five love languages at me. You're telling me that I'm a human with my own wants and needs. And I think she also like one thing, because at the time, I think, you know, someone had told me that I like wasn't sex positive. And she was like, nope, you are. You're communicating your sexual desires and needs. Like that's what that's sex positivity liter- is. That's literally the definition of sex positive. Yeah. Like yeah. She's like, it doesn't mean wanting to have it doesn't mean wanting to have sex all the time. And of course, at this point, I think my kid was like two years old. Of course, I didn't want oh to have sex gosh. all the time. I was fucking exhausted. Like, yeah. Like, like what are there we was a reason about? my libido was really low at that point. Jesus. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like for a number, like with a number of legitimate factors and the idea that, I mean, it is just so frustrating because of the ripple effects that are so damaging within evangelical culture to suggest to wives and cishet relationships that like sex is your duty and bonkers uh, from an outsider's perspective to be like we listen we know none of us like it you know what I mean like none of us like it you just got to do it and it's like that's the conclusion if you have a lower (laughs) libido the conclusion is like suck it up like if you take that and put it in any other context it's like oh no that's like coercive culty behavior like what are we talking about you know what I mean but the fact that it's so normalized And it's like, well, if you're not having sex this many times a week, then there's something wrong with your relationship. That's a whole other rabbit hole that, and kind of a soapbox for me is like Christian therapists or therapists who like are licensed and they're like, I specialize in Christian therapy. And I'm like, that's fucking unethical. You're not allowed to do that. (laughs) You're not allowed to do that. Like your licensing board, the licensing test that you took says that you cannot do that. Um, So it's so insidious and so... Yeah, it's so insidious and so harmful. So, so harmful. Sorry, I took it to like a, a real, you know, we always get kind of depressing on this spot. When, when we're I talking mean, about this kind of stuff, it gets right, dark. Right? It it goes, it does go that deep, which is, to to y'all's point, that's why it's so upsetting that it's still a, best, a bestseller. Because it's also the kind of thing where it's like, if this is going to harm, even if it's a quarter of the population where this gets applied in that really disgusting mistreat like narcissistic horrible way why would we not want to protect that quarter like the three quarters of us can do without this fucking like you know buzzfeed quiz we can put it to the side (laughs) and find something else right like but having that even be a risk for me is like the definition of like you know do no harm like you don't want to perpetuate that harmful concept and you know I'm really disappointed they used it in Queer Eye that like no every, but because it's such an acceptable, um, I mean, it's over 20 years old and it's part of the cultural zeitgeist. So like, it must be reliable. It's like, no, no, please. I also kind of can't believe it only came out in 1992 in my head. It's like existed since like the fifties or something. Like I just felt like it had been around forever just because again, by the time (laughs) that I was in a relationship, you know, I was, it it felt like it had been, it was the gospel of relationships or still is the gospel of relationships. It's, I will say about queer. I I've always joked that like Karamo seems to have as much like qualifications for what he's doing as like Antony does. Like both of them. I'm like, you are like, beautiful people who I would like to hug and hang out with. I don't know. Like, Anthony, I don't know sometimes if you would be the-, the first person I would go to for this particular thing. 
Yeah. Right. Like there are times when I'm like, Karamo, you're like bringing people like, like it. Yeah. Anyways, uh, all that to say, sometimes I'm like, you, I don't think you have any business like yeah. facilitating this conversation. I have mixed feelings about this situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And having to like speaking toward like helpful alternatives, there are so many, like there is such a plethora of much better relationship books that are not, uh, that are research backed, right? Like even in the, uh, within the love languages, like there have been empirical studies that have been done on it. And the conclusion is that the, uh, the positive outcome is when you're, is not because of love languages, it's because partners communicate with each other right? Mm. Like it's a piece that facilitates that conversation. Um, but anything, I mean, anything by the Gottmans, I want to stipulate that with the, I want to put a stipulation on that, which is that they are, uh, older clinicians that have very much tried and do succeed in a lot of ways, but people feel torn with them because of their, uh, I don't know if, if exclusion is the right word. Uh, it's not in, implied strongly enough that queer couples are part of this uh, mm. element. Mm-hmm. And so some people are like, mm, the Gottmans are problematic. They're a lot less problematic because <laughs> yeah. they're not religiously based and they're unbiased um, than Gary Chapman. But um, seven principles for making a marriage work is a great one. Which is, is that their most famous book? Um, It's their most famous in my brain. Cause that's the one I like the most. Um, okay. But no, they, I mean, they have, they have so many. Um, I just got sent an advanced copy of um, their newest book that's coming out called fight. Right. And it's like hmm. similar to seven principles in terms of like how to protect your relationship while still having a conflict and like working through that conflict. Um, but seven principles for making a marriage work is what their clinical training is based on. So like love maps, bids for connection, turning toward each other instead of away from each other, how to overcome gridlock, focusing on solvable problems. Like all of those are what as a, I have a, I have taken the first part of that clinical training and that's what it's based on. Yeah, I think I've read at least part of that or a therapist along the way has recommended that for us. It's good to know that they still hold up. Totally. What other resources are out there for couples? And specifically, I'd love, do you have resources for people who are in like non-hetero <laughs> relationships? Yeah. I mean, it's like, again, I feel like the whole world is bent towards just like giving like white cis people <laughs> yeah. advice. So, so curious, like, like all of their advice and resources are geared toward that end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of social media recommendations, um, that I like high, like have held up and are very well research based. Um, Dr. Rachel Vanderbilt on TikTok, um, is like, she specifically did a, um, did a series or a few TikToks on how the love languages didn't necessarily hold up within like lesbian relationships. So she has a queer focus. Um, her stuff is really good. Um, Stan Tatkin, um, that method, there's a method of, uh, therapy that he has come up with called PACT, P-A-C-T. Um, and it's, a like neuro, uh, biological feedback and communication based. It's kind of like taking Gottman and somatic therapy, which is body-based therapy and putting those two together. So like using your partner to co-regulate, um, the first session mm-hmm. that my husband and I, that's, this is the therapy that we did last year. Um, the first session we ever did, he made us, the therapist made us sit and stare at each other, um, for like an elongated period of time. And I wanted to claw all of my skin off, um, and then just started (laughs) bawling. Like it was, but like helped us to 
yeah, it really, really helped because of the mind body disconnection I have because of my neurodivergence. Um, so he has a book called wired for love. That's neuroscience based. I really liked that book. Emily Nagowski with, uh, she has written burnout and also, uh, just released a book about sex for women. What is it? I feel like the woman that everyone quotes about, um, Esther Perel. How do you feel about her? Hmm. Um, so I feel a way about Esther Perel. Um, I don't know that I've done enough research to like come to a, to a firm conclusion. What I will say is that there's a book called mother brain that talks about attachment theory and, uh, the journalist who wrote it, uh, it was so, so, so well-researched and award-winning and the way that she lays out how we came to understand attachment therapy, which is a lot of Esther Perel's work, um, how it's so patriarchal and like white man based, mm. like of like, Oh, well like mother's intuition, like mothers just know. And it's like, yeah, that's not real. Like that's based <laughs> off of the opinion from one scientist who had roots in eugenics. Like that's not a thing. Mm. So like mother brain was particularly mind blowing and informs the way I look at attachment. Like when things are like attachment theory, attachment theory, I'm like, I, it borders so much on pseudoscience that I kind of hesitate to consider it for my neurodivergent clients, especially Emily Nagowski wrote come as you are. She also has a book called come together mm -hmm. when we're talking about both of those are about sex, um, and pleasure, um, in bodies. So both of those are really, really good. Um, and like well evidence based. Um, but yeah, I know Esther Perel is really, um, really popular, especially because of her like approach to, uh, polyamory, um, a book called polysecure, mm -hmm. I think is a better read. Um, because it talks about how we relate to each other and how we may or may not feel secure or insecure in our relationships. Sweet. Uh, we will uh, link to all of that in the show notes as well. Um, I want to know, especially as people who are coming out of purity culture, religious trauma, like what is your advice or what, what do you tell people to kind of shed these weird expectations in relationships of how we were told to be like – I want to end maybe on a positive note or whatever. Yeah. Like this is, we are trying to leave this stuff behind. We, we like to joke that we're podcasts about deconstruction, but also reconstruction. Like we're rebuilding these parts of ourselves. Yes. And like, we have realized so many things about ourselves in the last couple of years. We've realized our queerness. We've realized that not every marriage is going to look the same. Some people, you know, like mm -hmm. it's, I don't know, just leaving behind those, those senses of, I mean, it took me fucking 15 years into my marriage yeah. to, I've just been married 15 years. So that's the joke to like uh, leave behind some purity culture stuff, you know, and yeah. really be able to communicate with my spouse about sex in a way that is open and healthy. And I think that, I mean, for me, my, my guess is just like, sure. The five love languages can be helpful. Like you said, to get people to communicate. It's just like, you, you have to talk and you have to like share from your heart mm -hmm. and, like throw away any Christianese that you have or any whatever some person told you that you're I mean again I was told my whole life that men are all they want is sex right and and da 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 and all, they want to be touched and sure that's true my husband loves sex but like he also like wants me to like fucking talk to him you know right. what I mean like, <laughs> like right he's not just a body level. Lindsay he has feelings <laughs> that's yeah right. <laughs> right yes and I think too especially I mean speaking from my own experience this is like completely personally anecdotally in my own experience um like I know a lot of people find me through social media platforms a lot of people don't know that before 2019 I had two tattoos 
I have two full sleeves of patchwork work. I have one on my back. I have a thigh tattoo. I did not have any nose piercings at that time. Um, I didn't dress like this prior to like maybe 2021. I gradually like came in like through therapy, through coming home to myself, like this is who I have always been, which is confusing for a lot of people who have known me for a really long time. But when I, like, I still sometimes when I'm feeling insecure, will go to my husband who we, we've been together since we were 17 and 16. Um, so a re- like 20 years this year. So I will ask him like, are you sure that you like this version of me? I, I know that I like, I recognize that I'm very different than I was even five years ago. Are you sure you like this version of me? And his consistent answer at which it would be fine for him to change at any point, but his consistent answer and approach has been, this is who I've always known you to be. You're yeah. just coming to align outwardly with who I've always known you to be. This isn't new to me, right? Yeah. When I wanted mm-hmm. to shave the side of my head and dye my hair bright pink all over, like he was like, yeah, that tracks. You know what I mean? He wasn't <laughs> like, oh my God, like, what are people going to think of you, right? Like being open to different versions of your partner and knowing that like the version that stands in front of you may not be the same version that you knew 15 years ago. It's a better, hopefully it's a better and more like, engaged and whole person than you knew back then. Right. And I think that is the part, like the point of being in partnership is to be with someone who encourages you with that, because without daily encouragement or like acceptance from him, I wouldn't be able to do that. You know, I wouldn't be able to do that work even on my own, which is why I'm partnered. And I think that's a lot of, for a lot of uh, Christians, especially who got married really, really young is like, well, I got partnered because that's what I was supposed to do. Like, it's okay to ask, why am I partnered? What is this relationship providing to me? What am I providing to this relationship? And figuring out, like, it's okay to question to find out what is going to work for you because in the end, it's going to help you and your partner live a more whole version of yourself, whatever that looks like. Yeah, I love that. I've been experiencing that a lot with my partner over the last uh, 20, oh my God, almost 24 years that we've been married. And when he, uh, when when I reveal parts of myself to him that I wasn't aware of, uh, my queerness being one of the big ones, um, he was not surprised. And mm. that surprised me in the ways that he said, no, I see you. I've always seen you. I mm. didn't know, you know, what what it looked like or how you would articulate or, you know, but you're the person, you know, that he met me when I was 15. And obviously at 40 how old am I? Something? 40 something? 40. You know, three. We, we all a... stopped counting after 35. So relatable. I just, that's like, right. I, I don't know. Literally forgot my age. Remember we, <laughs> Meg and I had this conversation. I was like, Oh, I didn't realize you were that much older than me. And she's like, I'm not. And I'm like, but I'm, Wait, what? Was, Wait. yeah, we were celebrating Meg's birthday and you were turning 43. And I was like, that's weird. I thought you were only you're older than me and I'm 41. And she's like, no, you're not. And then I was I like, like yeah, when your yeah, friends I, know your age and you don't. It's like yeah, I forgot. I'm, I don't I'm know. 42. So once I, yeah, I'm 42. I got to the 40s, I was like, ah, fuck it. Who cares? Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's like he he saw me in all these ways. Not 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 like he could say, oh, well, when you're 40, this is going to happen, and I just know this is the evolution that you're going to take. But but just that at my core, I am me. And like yeah. you were saying, Crystal, just to like be able to reveal more of yourself to yourself 
and have a partner who is supportive of that and also is like a cheerleader. Like he's my biggest fan. He's the one going mm. like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to see you come out of this, you know, depressed and controlled yeah. way that you lived your life. And now that you get to just have a freeness in you, I actually get to see all the parts of you that I love. And 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 the partnership that we've given to each other has not just been those vows that we spewed out. It was like, we are each other's person mm. and we're going to continue to support one another in whatever iterations of ourselves we are because we are becoming better versions of ourselves. It's a beautiful thing when you have a partner who can see you and who wants to see you. And yes. you know, when mine was like, I still want to grow old with you. He's like, if you find out that you don't want to have sex with men anymore, that's okay. There's more mm -hmm. to our relationship than that. And it's mm. a beautiful thing to be able to experience. But what if you're in a relationship that is like, hasn't started off that way? I'm so glad you asked that. <laughs> so there's a really great book called Platonic um, who, that is written by a therapist, um, or she might be a researcher. Anyhow, she has background in education and licensure in sociology. There are a lot of people that we get like call-ins and write-ins from for time to lean that are like, I, my husband is not interested in getting to know me. My husband is not interested in going to therapy to like explore this more, to like work on his stuff. I've been working on my stuff and this isn't working, but I can't leave. Or like, I'm not in a financial position to leave. Um, Platonic focuses on the importance of friendships and the like the deep intimacy that can exist within friendships and community and how it, in like in society it's like oh you have a friend like that's not we have a hierarchy of like what partnerships are important which I love 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 that polyamory is fucking pulling to the ground right of this thing of like no like there should not be a hierarchy within polyamory because poly like the idea behind polyamory is that there's liberation and you know, everyone, it's collective liberation. So if you can't find that within your partnership, it's one, okay, to grieve that. And two, like work with a therapist to figure out what your expectation is from that relationship. And if you're okay to stay in that relationship with that expectation not being met there and knowing that it's okay and perfectly fine to try and figure out, okay, well, so then how am I going to get that expectation, expectation met on my own is that with a you know uh somebody that i you know read books with and discuss them with is that with a group of women that i get together with and you know we switch off watching kids and also like you know discuss what we're seeing in the world and how we want to be politically active like getting that need met from other spaces that still honor that part of yourself is perfectly fine. And I think that within evangelicalism, it's always like, no, your marriage, like God, and then your marriage, and then your mm. children. And it's like, okay, but like, it's also not fair for one partner to work harder at that than the other. And for there to be a complete like disregard or like for it to be unsafe to do that within that relationship, it's okay to figure out where else you can get that need met. That's not sinful. And I There's love nothing this wrong idea with you. that Yes, you don't have to just have one person in your life who fulfills every single fucking need for you. Like yes. that was a huge mind-blowing thing for me to be like, okay, if I can stop trying to fulfill every need of my partner, 
it liberates me to not have to have every single one of my needs met by my partner. And yep. that that could seem scary to people because, you know, it's like your you're one true love, the person that yes. you're supposed to like be with for the rest of your life. There's this like forever twin flame shit. And yeah. it's just yep. not real. It's not real, mm-hmm. y'all. So even though I've had 24 years of like amazing partnership with my husband, it has never looked the same. Having mm-hmm. a kid changed everything, like jobs mm-hmm. change everything, where you live. It's like we have to be more realistic about the fact that we are people who need more than one person in our life. We mm-hmm. are we are built for community. We're built for the village. And that's something that's like, I love this. I love this idea. If you don't have a book club, if you don't have a ladies group, if you don't have something else outside of your your family life or your partner, um, that's like happening on a weekly, monthly basis, like go find it, Mm -hmm. go get, go get that. Yeah. And there are incredible, um, clinicians. There's, um, the friendship expert, I believe is her handle. I'll have to look it up. Um, but, um, Danielle Baynard is doing great work within that field of friendship. Like she's hosting a, an event coming up, I think in Florida where it's like speed dating, but for friends. So you like enter all your information, you get this situated. Yeah. Where it's like, hell yeah. Like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. If I, sometimes I have to, like, I'll go to Ben at the end of the day and I'm like, oh, well, here was the result on this thing. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, I don't remember if I texted Laura or my sister or my mom about this. Anyway, I'll, let me lay this out for you because I have multiple, multiple venues where I'm like, you're not available during the workday. That's fine. I'm not going to put that on you. I'll reconvene at the end of the day because you're not available. I'm going to find that support elsewhere because I run... ADHD run real impulsively and need the support in the moment. It's okay that you can't give that to me. I get that somewhere else, you know, like it's so much pressure. And it's not a failure, which I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. It's a success to like be able to navigate the relationship that way. Yeah. Also, I like, I want to make sure we throw it out there that like divorce is also a great option. It's also a hundred percent. It's it's 100%. one of those things where we've been talking about how to communicate in relationships and all that. And I think that especially as like people raised the way that we were, it was not an option, right? Like yes. you had to stay yep. in the most abusive of relationships because God can redeem everything. And that messaging is so harmful and toxic. And we've done a whole episode on divorce. Like it's too bad Sarai isn't here because Sarai fucking loves divorce. Uh, she <laughs> thinks like that getting divorced is the best thing that ever. And I walked my youngest sister through a divorce recently and like it's it's so good for her. And I think that like, oh, yeah. we as a culture need to be better at celebrating that, that like sometimes the death of a relationship is absolute best fucking thing that can happen to you. So, um, you know, whatever your status is this Valentine's day, first of all, it's a made up holiday. Like the five languages are made up. So do what yeah. you, we eat, um, our thing, especially since we had a kid, is we do um, cheap pizza and nice champagne at home. We just get like oh, Domino's. Fun. I love that. And like a nice bottle of bubbly and like that we drink after the kid goes to bed. And, you know, that's it's a great it's tradition. Real exciting. Yeah. yeah. And I want to say too, like to your point, Lindsay, like with like with divorce, like our joke is always kind of like my sister's like, what what's your podcast for? I'm like, oh, it's to give women a like permission to leave their partners. Um, but we work a lot with um Fresh Starts Registry, which is the original and only divorce registry. Um, for like when people get divorced, you if you leave and you don't have anything, they have resources to like create a registry that you can send to your friends because that should be celebrated. 
Yes. Being able mm-hmm. to leave a relationship like that or being able to, you know, help situate your life and make brave choices that are really fucking hard have to be celebrated. So let people support you and buy shit for you to help you get through that. They also have like just a ton of like great resources of people that can support you walking through that. That is 110% always an option. Oh my gosh. I need to start one for my sister. I she's, Oh hell yeah. Do it. Olivia and Jenny her- are sisters that run it. And they are also very like you could DM Olivia or Jenny and they'd be like, yeah, I'm on it. What do you need? Like, they're so good. They're both amazing. I love that. It's been, yeah, it's been because of course her ex-husband that she met in YWAM who preaches at his church every Sunday, who uh, hasn't paid child support in two years uh, is a piece of shit. So I'm very grateful that she's out of it, but she's had nothing. She has their children. He hasn't seen his kids. He hasn't seen his kids in six months and yet posts on Instagram about like how much he loves the Lord. Oh God damn it. That makes me so They're like, Oh, it's just like they've, they're garnishing his wages now because I'm like, absolutely. They fucking are. Yeah. Oh my God. But yeah. yeah. So fuck that guy. So a hundred percent. So if you find yourself in a similar position, yeah, please utilize. They would like, it is the joy of their life and work to be able to help people navigate that. The thing that I have learned is like coming out of the cultiness that is evangelicalism is, and I think that we've talked a lot about the loss of community, uh, but this community that we're building and especially like the women of the deconstructing space, the women, non-binary femme, like mm-hmm. queer folks, like we, we take care of us and mm-hmm. there is so much like joy and healing and hope in that like it's not all made better right but it's like knowing that like we've got each other's backs and I've really like seen that since jumping into like doing holy ghosting just like fucking strangers on the internet how yes. we're like there for each other and um yeah it's really nice like we may have lost like one kind of community but that community was really toxic and I think that like the, what we're building like in the way forward is it's given me uh, a lot of hope Absolutely. And I was going to say, that's what I recommend to a lot of clients who are like, I don't know any other trans people or I don't know any other queer people. And I'm like, okay, so your assignment for this week is to DM like four trans creators online that you know of, or like four trans people that you follow that like you wouldn't normally reach out to because it's a great jumping, like, like love languages, like any tool that is available to you, use what's available to you. Is that where you want to land to only have online relationships? No, but it's a great, that's literally how I met Laura. Like Laura was, I was an internet stranger to her two years ago who just loved her content and like we just built a relationship and now I, I was helping put her kids to bed two weeks ago. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. it's, it's very, yeah. it's very beautiful and weird and awkward and all of that is okay. Yeah. All of that is okay to use as a resource so that you feel less alone because you're not, you're not alone in that feeling. Damn straight. I think that's, I was like, wrap it. We did it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Crystal, tell us about your book. When's it coming out? What can, how can we be on the lookout? Can we pre Totally. Yeah. So I just signed with a book agent a month ago. Um, so it's, uh, the working title right now is, uh, you're not broken neurodivergence, millennials, and the social structures that hold us back. So, um, it's in progress. I'm, we're getting ready to pitch it to publishers. 
So wish me luck on that. Um, but you can find me uh, online at my website is crystalbrit.com, but all of the good stuff is at timetoleanpod.com. Um, mine is just kind of like a ghost profile so that I look like I have a license because I do. Um, <laughs> so that that's where all the resources are. And then I'm on all socials at it's crystalbrit, uh, randomly and impulsively making content on all platforms because I can. With your fabulous content and your outfits and your hair, it's always so oh like, gosh. go follow Crystal if you don't already. I'm just telling you, it's it's so Thank good. Uh, and then, of course, we are Holy Ghosting. We are also all over the internet, uh, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. We've got a Facebook group. Um, we are also on Patreon, or you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts. And we're just happy you're here. Thank you for coming along for this awesome conversation. Meg, what am I missing? We'll see you next time. Because <laughs> we are holy ghosting.